0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this
1: week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. And now I have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker today. Um, As you know, Brandon is here. He is back at the booth doing the sound for us, thankfully, because our sound guys ha- just had a baby. So, and then, you know, Brandon wanted to support the, the team, so we um, decided to invite, this is Leon, Leonor Ortega Till, yep. and we um, are just so excited to have her here. She, I met her years ago, back when I was working at another church, um, and I'm so grateful for her and their church at Scum of the Earth. They There is a church called Scum of the Earth. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they are um, such a blessing and such a light in the city of Denver. And so um, she uh, had the privilege of working there and preaching there. And now she is with Urban Sky. And she brings the love of Christ to um, people around her and... Also, I just have to, I just have to throw this out here. She is also a part of this awesome band called Five Iron Frenzy. I'm guessing there's probably not a lot of people in here that are familiar. We've got one person. We've got one person. Super talented, super talented band. And so um, we're just so grateful to have you here. Let me just pray for you really quick. Father, we just lift up Leonora. We're so grateful to have her here. Um, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing through her in the city, the work that you're doing, and the good news of Christ, the love of Christ that you're bringing um, to people, especially people who, um, who don't trust the church. And so, God, I, I thank you. I pray that um, whatever you want to speak through her to us, God, open our ears and our hearts, and may we receive your words in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
0: Cool, thank you. It's gonna make a lot of noise in a few seconds. You guys ready? We gotta. Right, hi everybody, good morning. Yeah, like Mindy said, my name is Leonor Ortega Till. And believe it or not, I am a Colorado native. I know there's not a lot of us, but I am one. So I am coming to you from the city of Denver. Basically, Scum of the Earth started in uh, think 2,000, but I've been pastoring off and on, basically I'm a shepherd of sorts, put it that way, right? Like, I work in difficult communities such as the women's prison, I'm going there later today, and homeless ministries, and just people on the fringes, put it that way, right? People on the fringes. And today I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Here, I feel like I'm just faced that way too much. (laughs) chapter 15 and I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through 3 and then I'll skip ahead and go to 11 to 32 and you're probably somewhat familiar with this story. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called out to one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has not back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. So today we're going through the prodigal son. And a lot of people call it the story of the prodigal son. But really, in the beginning, I just read about two sons. So it really is as much an older brother as it is a younger brother. And not only that, Right off the bat, I read there was a father that had these sons stored, also equally out the father. Um, it's hard to read this parable in new times because we've heard it so many times. How many people have heard this before? Right. I would honestly say this is probably one of the most famous parables of Jesus. And I think that's true because it talks about so much grace. And you know who loves to talk about this parable? Youth pastors. Youth pastors love this because they know when you're a teenager, it goes right to the heart, right to the soul. And I must have been about 14 years old in youth group when I'm sitting there, you know, in some cool poster-filled, dirty old couch youth group, and I heard this story for the first time. And it did. It was like, boom, an arrow into my soul. I was a child of the 80s. I was a child of the early 90s. Let me tell you, there were a lot of fun sins for me to dip my toes in. Yeah, right? (laughs) Your eyebrows raised. He's thinking about his past. He's all, oh, your worship leader has some stories. Um, Similarly, occasionally... I would. Little Leonor would skip school or little Leonor would watch those videos on MTV or actually look for CDs that had the explicit sign to see what I wasn't supposed to listen to. Occasionally, I would lie. I don't know why, but I told some kids that we had pet peacocks. Stupid, stupid lies. Why would you even say that? Um, Sometimes, I would... This is not something I'm proud of, but my dad would drive a half an hour from I lived out in the country, and we would go all the way to Greeley, and he would take me on Wednesday nights to go to youth group. And I'd wave by, he'd drive out of sight, and I'd go to the park with some of my friends. I remember the youth pastor seeing me do it. He did not rat me out, and I'm glad he didn't because later I came back. But it was one of those things where what am I going to do? What am I going to try? So the first time I'm sitting in youth group and I hear this line, I hear this section. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw the prodigal son and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And little Leonore at about 14 was like, Mind blown. You mean Jesus runs toward me? God, my Father, is filled with compassion when I come back to youth group. He doesn't give me a speech about how I've been bad. He doesn't give me the silent treatment like my dad, or yell like my mom, or manipulate like my friends, or give me a long lecture like my grandma. He runs towards me and kisses me. It was almost a little too much, right? We don't feel worthy of that grace when we hear it. But at 14 years old, that is what I needed to know. I did not have to please the Lord by being perfect. I had to run and let him change my heart. I had to receive the grace. I was pretty shocked because I wanted God to love me. The problem with the prodigal son story is we often tell that story and we forget the context, who Jesus was talking to. Let's remember this. Jesus is talking to two groups. He's talking to the tax collectors and sinners. That's one group, right? And I almost physically think of them as like maybe sitting on the floor, maybe, and I'm not making any judgment, but maybe because they're the tax collectors and the sinners, maybe they sit in the back 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 no judgment Mindy but I see her way back there um, so they're there right and maybe they even like are kind of like shaking their heads or maybe they're just dressed really mellow right but he's also talking to the religious leaders and again no judgment but did you see I was sitting in the front Maybe these are the people that were sitting right in the front and they have their nice clothes on and they're obeying the religious rules and they're always in temple and they're always being good and they're always doing the right thing because they're by the book Jewish people, right? And he's talking at this time to these two very different groups of people. And yet he only has one story for which to speak to two groups. One story, one lesson, to the religious people of the day, and the wayward people, right? I've often been in church, and there was a church I started going to called Corona Presbyterian, and the whole reason I went, and this is not a lie, the whole reason I went is because there was a door by the back where you could sneak up and go to the balcony and bring in your donuts and your chocolate milk from King Supers, and nobody would bother you. Like, I didn't have to say hi to anybody, and I could leave afterwards and not talk to all the, I mean, it was an older crowd. I'd say 50 was probably the average age. And this is, you know, back in the early 90s. And kind of like Mindy, I had my tattoos. I had my nose rings. I had a blue mohawk, you guys. I looked wild. But I loved Jesus. And yet, I will be honest with you, I was looked at suspiciously by church people. When I would go to churches, it was assumed, oh, let's tell her about the gospel. And I'm like, guess what? I go to Colorado Christian University. I know a thing or two, not that much. I know it's expensive to go to CCU. But people would look at me because of the way I dressed, because of the way I presented myself, and they would assume what that meant about me spiritually. Do we do that to people sometimes? When they come into church we can already assume oh they're just a guest oh they're new or oh they must be visiting from a well-to-do church they obviously know the bible just because they're dressed nice we don't know when i first went to colorado christian university you're set up you know i wanted to learn about the lord i had tattoos i had nose rings i had a mohawk and i had not grown up in the church friends i had not grown up in the church i knew a few stories But I wanted to go to CCU to learn theology. I wanted to learn Old and New Testament. I wanted to learn about Jesus because, like I said, at 14, I had run and learned that God cared about me, and I was filled with, he was filled with compassion for me. So I go to CCU, and I have an old army trunk filled with all my clothes, and I have a backwards baseball cap, and I've got, you know, a trench coat, and I meet my roommate, Kara, and she's from Nebraska, and she has beautiful curly red hair, and her parents are there to meet her, and they see her roommate. <laughs> and later, she told me, after we became friends, she said, my parents pulled me aside and said, if I wanted a new roommate, they would make it happen. Judgy much? Looking at my heart much? Judgy much? Ouch! Ouch! And that began to start the experience that I would experience over and over and over in my life. Again, I was in a Christian band. We were called Five Iron Frenzy, and we'd get to go to big festivals, big festivals. We get to play Creation East. Oh, Michael W. Smith's going to be there. Oh, Audio Adrenaline. Oh, Jackie Velasquez. You've heard maybe some of these bands, maybe Rebecca St. James. Oh my gosh, DC Talk. And then we get there, and there's a huge stage, and they look at us and they go, there's actually a stage around the forest over there called the Fringe Stage, and that's where your band is going to play. But you know what? I was so happy to play the Fringe Stage because that's where the kids that are like me are, and they need to hear the message of Jesus. Amen? They're the ones smoking in the woods that their youth pastor drugged them to this stupid Christian festival, and then they hear our music and they go, oh. Oh. Look at you. You look like me. Does that mean someone like me can love Jesus? Does that mean someone like me can be accepted into this crazy Christian kingdom? Amen. Of course you can. The message is powerful. The message of Jesus is powerful. The message of grace is fundamental to the Christian faith, no doubt. But I think sometimes some of the judgy people have a reason for being judgy. There can be two scenarios of why people can become judgy. One of them is because maybe they lived a very intense wild life themselves and came to know the Lord. Do you know anybody like that? Someone who was one person, crazy wild, breaking all the rules, did what they want, and then boom! They have an encounter with Jesus and they totally changed their lives. I had a friend named Dan, and we'd been friends since kindergarten. He was that bad kid in school. You know the bad kid? Even in first grade, we knew, oh, this kid's going to be trouble. Just can't listen to the rules, probably undiagnosed ADD, writing on the walls, trying to show off by sticking his whole hand in his mouth. What is that? Just weird. By the time he got to junior high school, you know, he was going to Paris on the Platte, smoking clove cigarettes, reading the anarchist cookbook, concerned about philosophy and communism and just kind of wild around the edges, right? And Dan dropped out of school in junior year and moved to Montana to be a sheepherder. What a hippie. And his mom, who was a wonderful Christian lady in the church, cried and cried and cried. And I, who was a good friend of Dan, I was his Christian friend, you know what I mean? I would always talk to him. He'd call once in a while. This is before cell phones, of course. And I'd be like, Dan, you're crazy, but I'm praying for you, praying for you. And one day I got the call. Not the call that he had died, but the call that he had been in a field alone with the sheep, and felt the presence of God, and boom, just like that, he had changed his life and became a Christian. Serious, and at first, I'm a little skeptical, I'm a little doubtful, but no, he moves back home, he starts wearing khakis and polo shirts. Nice haircut, he was actually kind of handsome underneath all that chaos. And pretty soon, Dan is saying, well, I don't smoke anymore. And pretty soon, Dan is saying, I don't listen to that rock and roll. And pretty soon, Dan is saying, and you shouldn't listen to that rock and roll. And pretty soon, Dan is giving me advice about my life. And I'm like, hold up. I'm the Christian that was praying for you. Are you getting very judgy, Dan? But guess what? Dan needed to make his world very tiny because any little temptation was a trigger. He could not go to a bar to evangelize. He could not even go to certain coffee shops He could not read certain books anymore. He could not do a lot of things. He had to make his world tiny because the temptation of what he was and how he had opened his brain to a whole world, it was too scary. So he had to protect himself. So when he was judging me, he was actually kind of doing it out of love. Like, I've gone that far. I don't want that for you. And so he became kind of like the older brother in that... All of a sudden, he's going to church and looking at all these punk rockers going, I know what it's like to be you. But not everybody is rebellious, Dan. You just kind of were. That's one way in one scenario people become judgy. They don't mean to. It's so gradual that one day they wake up and they're a Pharisee. It reminds me of that scene in Willy Wonka where... Grandpa Joe and Charlie are drinking the fizzy lifting juice or drink and they're having fun and they're in this big room and they're doing flips and they look up and there's a fan about to chop their heads off. It was so gradual and so fun, but it's dangerous, right? Becoming judgy can be dangerous. All of a sudden, they're a Pharisee, ouch. The other scenario that can happen when people become like the older brother is very opposite from what happened to Dan. These are the kind of person that is good from day one. Anybody have a kid like that? I have an older son, and i he's just perfect. And I have a daughter, and wow, <laughs> she's opposite. We'll just use that word. She's strong-willed. We call it strong-willed these days. She is strong-willed. God bless her. But it's very socially acceptable and almost praised in Christian communities to try and be perfect. Be perfect like your God is perfect. Men and women living as closely to the rules as they can, believing that if they behave behave a certain way, then they are heaven bound. Then they deserve a good life. They deserve God's blessings. American Christianity falls into this trap. Have you ever heard? Well, I'm good, of course I'm gonna go to heaven. Has nothing to do with the gospel, has nothing to do with Jesus' sacrifice, has nothing to do with the Father running to them in compassion. If you are good, then good happens to you. Everyone knows that. That's how Christianity works. Don't you know that? And I've also heard it go this far, you know. I have to keep on sinning so that God didn't die in vain. What? Let's not make a waste of that sacrifice. Crazy town. I think think you've missed the point. I think you've missed the point. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the Lord. I am so sorry, older son of mine, and you will hit the wall someday, but you are never, ever, ever going to be good enough for Christ to say, get into heaven without receiving me. It doesn't work that way. doesn't work that way. It is by grace we are saved and not by works. Faith is more than merely behaving. It is believing. And part of that belief is recognizing that we are sinful. And we need to accept the grace. So it seems to me like the older brother of this parable is the second type, right? Don't you kind of think he's always been good? He has his prodigal brother, which has always been bad. And he's always been good, and he's working in the field. Both brothers are in the same family. And many of us can probably name a couple people in our family that are like the younger brother. And some that we'd roll our eyes and go, they're like the older brother. In the family. And we also tend to think of not just individuals like this, but we think of societal groups like this. Think about this who are the societal groups that we think of like the younger brother? Well, maybe the hippies, the people that don't live in a house but live in a vehicle and travel place by place by place. And I'm not talking retired people, I'm talking travelers. Maybe we think of them like wildlife younger brothers or People with all the tattoos, maybe the person in has, you know, is an artist, would never be conventional, never get a normal job. Maybe musicians, maybe people that are just a little bit on the edge like the bikers. <laughs> Those bikers are definitely a little crazy, right? And then we also have people that aren't just like younger brother a little bit, but they're like way younger brother like we saw in that video, the homeless. Their societal younger brothers, the homeless, the train jumpers, the thieves, the drug addicts, the internet scammers. And of course, today we still have the tax collectors. We can add them back there. There's nothing new under the sun. They have their societal younger brothers, and we have our societal younger brothers. Basically, if we have the hippies over here, what do we have over here? The yuppies. The older brothers are the yuppies, right? These people are known by their societal do-gooderness, right? Oh, that's the teacher's pet. That is the church volunteer that gets on your nerves because they volunteer for everything happily. Anyone know that person? These are the neighbor with the perfect grass. You know that person? These are the PTA parents. These are the employee of the month, and the ultimate, ultimate societal good people, the Karens. These are the people that are keeping us in check by the way they behave. And heaven forbid, we walk on the grass. Kind of uptight. Make no mistake, both types are spiritually lost. Jesus cares about the morally religious just as much as he cares about the morally lost because he has the heart of the father. He's the same father to both. He doesn't love this one more because he needs it more. He doesn't love this one more because he behaves, right? If you're a parent, you know that, right? You don't quantify that love. And he doesn't want them or us to miss out on the love and grace we're meant to live, Religious moralism, legalism, Pharisee behavior. You know what that leads to? Exhaustion, depression, anxiety, fear, and ultimately death. It's kind of like these people look like beautiful swans on the water, but underneath they're paddling furiously. Got to behave, got to behave, got to behave. Got an ulcer, got an ulcer, got an ulcer. Chill, chill. You are loved, chill. If we try to earn and keep our place by the father's side, we're actually doing ourselves a disservice because we think we can earn it. And you know the older brother wanted something from the father. He wanted the inheritance too, but he also wanted the pat on the back to be the good son. He was very, very, very jealous, don't you think? But we see the action of the father and the heart of the father when his son returns, and he runs towards him without hesitation, with open arms. And all of a sudden, we have the older brother being like, I'm not going to your party. And how embarrassing. How embarrassing. The, older, the father has to go out there and in public, in public, plead, come to the party of your brother. And publicly, and of course publicly, because he wants everyone to know, I don't accept him. No, I'm not going to the party. And this is where the story ends. Jesus does a boom, mic drop, walks off. We don't know if he goes and has lunch. We don't know what Jesus does, but that's it in the scripture. We don't hear that. And all of a sudden, everybody was convicted. They had a big party. They got together. They exchanged phone numbers. No, we don't hear that. Everyone kind of was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Everyone had to go their separate ways now, And Jesus doesn't necessarily give a lesson. He doesn't say, so go forward and do this. He just tells the story and walks away, and his silence is the lesson. We get to decide, and they got to decide, where do you fit in this picture? What are you going to do with that knowledge? How are you going to love people better because of this type of message? I think right now in our society, it's a big, big message because more and more we are creating rifts between us. And I think when I heard that you guys are going to go and do landscaping for the network coffee shop, that is exactly, exactly the kind of stuff and the kind of places where Jesus would have you go. That's exactly Christ Community Church. As I've been here this morning, I have seen Christ and I have felt Christ. And I've seen a lot of community. And I love that you guys are being the church for people. It's beautiful. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for Christ Community Church. Thank you, God, for our stories. I'm obviously just a guest, so I don't know people's stories here. Um, I can't even assume who has had a situation like Dan where they came to you out of desperation and wild living. I don't know who has been trying to be perfect and keep it together for their whole life. I just know, God, that you love us all the same, and I know that you want a relationship with us the same, and you want us to have community with each other and not judge each other for the ways we try to speak about you and the way we present ourselves. Thank you, Father God, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And thank you, God, that you have given us grace. Let us accept it fully. Amen.
1: Thanks for tuning in to the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.